So I've been preaching this sermon series entitled The Cloister Walk. There are 12 stones mortared into our most prominent architectural feature. They represent 12 significant places from the history of Judeo-Christianity. And one thing that I've noted with you before is that three of the 12, 25%, have to do with a story that lasted less than 20 years. I call them the Pilgrim Rocks. They're uh, Scrooby, Leiden, and Plymouth Rock. When you think about it, 25% to tell a story that lasts 20 years, this must be integral to our self-understanding at Kenilworth Union. And to, to look at that with you, I've chosen a passage from Paul's letter to the Ephesians about welcoming the stranger, chapter 2. So then remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth were at that time without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth and strangers to the covenant. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near. For Christ is our peace. In Him He has made both groups into one and has broken down the wall of hostility between us. So Christ came to proclaim peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through Him all of us have access in one spirit to the Father. And you are no longer strangers or aliens, but citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today, Leiden is a city of about 120,000 people in southern Holland, about halfway between Amsterdam and The Hague. But even when the pilgrims spent 11 years there, beginning in 1609, Leiden was a bustling city of about 40,000 people, known for its superior cloth and its wonderful books. I want to tell you a story about what happened there in 1574, about 30 years before the pilgrims arrived, and this snapshot will tell you everything you need to know about Leiden. At the end of the 16th century, as you'll remember from your Western Civ courses at university, the lowlands of Europe, Belgium and the Netherlands, were controlled by Spain, King Philip II of Spain, which obviously drove loyal Hollanders crazy because the Spanish Inquisition was torturing Lutherans and burning Calvinists at the stake. And the good people of Leiden rebelled against this, and the Spanish King Philip sent his troops to besiege the city of Leiden in 1574. From May to October, the city was surrounded. During these six months, the city ran out of silver. So when you run out of silver, what do you do for money? Somebody decided that they should take pages from the prayer books in the pews at church and turn those pages into legal tender. The Dutch have taught the world many things like painting beautiful pictures and reclaiming submerged land and building seaworthy ships, but not the least of their gifts to the world is capitalism. First ones, the Dutch know from money. Full disclosure, I am married to a woman whose maiden name is Van Dyken, which means from the dike, 
and you can't get any dutcher than that, so this is not unprejudiced. But anyway, in the six-month Spanish siege of 1574, the Leideners run out of silver, so they turn their prayer books into money. What a convenient idea. And they also, of course, run out of food. So what are you going to do? In October, somebody comes up with the brilliant idea to break the dikes and flood the town with seawater so that the Dutch Navy can float an armada of flatboats straight into the town square, not only with food, but with cannons for the Spanish infantry. Siege is over. The Spaniards go home. The Dutch celebrate. This is going somewhere, by the way, I promise. Dutch Prince William I of Orange is so happy with the courage and resilience of the Leideners that he not only wants to reward them, he wants them to choose their reward. City of Leiden, says Prince William I of Orange. What do you want? No taxes forever or a university? To their everlasting credit, the Leideners chose a university, and the University of Leiden became the first and later the oldest university in the Netherlands. They didn't need money. They had all those prayer books. <laughs> it was the most progressive city in the most enlightened nation on earth. Someone guessed that during the 17th century, half of all the books in the world were published in the Netherlands, partly because they had these wonderful printing presses, but also because the Dutch didn't tell you what to write. Over in Rome, the Roman Inquisitor is interrogating Galileo Galilei because Galileo told the Pope that the earth revolves around the sun and not the other way around. While at the same time, over here in Leiden, René Descartes is publishing his I Think, Therefore I Am book, one of the most radical in the history of European literature, I Think, Therefore I Am. And the Leideners are saying, great, bring it on. In Rome, to Galileo's new truth, heaven forfend. In Leiden, to Descartes' new truth, bring it. Let's hear it. Live and let live was their motto. These Dutch were a globe-trotting, seafaring, free-trading, entrepreneurial people. They'd walked every continent and sailed every ocean and seen every skin color and heard every language. And they'd said to themselves, you know what? It's all good. It's all good. If it's good for business, it's good, period. Do you know that the Dutch were the first people to put maps on the walls of their homes? People from other parts of Europe would walk into a Dutch home and see it. Why do you have a map on your wall? Do you get lost? And the Dutch say, no, these are beautiful. We are delighted to think of all the wonderful places we can go. And so at the beginning of the 17th century in this bustling city of 40,000, as much as one-third of the residents are refugees, Jews, Huguenots, Baptists, Walloons, fleeing the Roman and Spanish Inquisitions, and of course also some folk from Scrooby, England, who were just not feeling welcome at home. Remember what we talked about the last time I stood in this pulpit at the end of July? Of course you do, but I'll just remind you. <laughs> if you were a Christian in England at the beginning of the 17th century when King James I took the throne, you were obliged to have two things. You had to have a book of common prayer 
and you had to have an Anglican bishop. But these scrooby Puritans under William Brewster were devout, avid, fierce Congregationalists. They didn't want to kneel for worship. They didn't want to genuflect at the cross because it wasn't in Scripture. They didn't want to sing Anglican hymns because they weren't in Scripture. And they most certainly didn't want an Anglican bishop telling them what preacher they had to listen to every Sunday. They wanted to choose their own preachers. And King James just cannot have this in his tidy little kingdom. While James is out Shakespearing Shakespeare by writing his famous Bible, the most beautiful and most important book ever written in English, he's saying to these scrooby congregationalists, I will harry you out of this land. I will harry you out of this land. And that's what he does. They're not feeling welcome at home. So... These scrooby congregationalists write a letter to the town council in Leiden and say, if we come across the North Sea, will you have us? And will you leave us alone? And this is the letter they received in return. We refuse no honest persons to come and have their residence in this city, provided that such persons behave honestly and follow the laws of the land. And so in 1609, these scrooby congregationalists crossed the North Sea. It's not very far. And they settle down in Leiden. They don't last very long, only 11 years, 1609 to 1620. And that time is short, mostly because, not to put too fine a point on it, they were working too hard. These are shepherds and farmers from rural England. And here they are in this urban setting of 40,000 people spending 12, 15 hours a day, six days a week at menial tasks like cobbling shoes and weaving cloth and running the printing presses. And not only that, their children are beginning to speak more Dutch than English. They have Dutch accents. Kids don't want to sound foreign. Every second generation immigrant wants to fit in. They want it to be Dutch because Dutch is cool. And so in 1620, about 50 of these Leiden Congregationalists hire a boat called the Mayflower, 102 feet long, and after a harrowing voyage of 10 weeks of bad weather, land by accident at Plymouth Rock. And the rest, as they say, is history. And so now you know why our forebears from 1958 slapped a Leiden stone in our cloister walk. It's because of this noble virtue of tolerance, this openness to new truths and odd ideas and exotic folk. God alone is Lord of the conscience, they said at Leiden. God alone is Lord of the conscience, we've been saying here at Kenilworth Union since 1892. But here's my point. Do you think those scrooby congregationalists landed at Plymouth Rock, having been so warmly welcomed at Leiden by strangers, recapitulated that openness and warmth once they landed here at Plymouth Rock in the New World? Are you kidding me? <laughs> by 1640, they'd been here less than a generation, 20 years. By 1640, the Pilgrim Fathers are treating dissenters in the New World exactly like King James treated them back in Old England. 
that liberal Ann Hutchison and that Baptist Roger Williams are banished from Massachusetts Bay Colony. And more and more waves of English Puritans are fleeing James's persecution in Old England for New England. But once they get there, all they're meeting is repression and unacceptance. So where do they go instead? A hundred miles south to New Amsterdam, where the Dutch are hanging out. And so the island of Manhattan becomes the most diverse place on the face of the earth. There's a a wall of sharpened log pickets about a half mile above the southern tip of Manhattan. And there are 400 people living below what is now called Wall Street. And among these 400 residents, they speak 18 languages. So here's the thing, right? We're all the children of immigrants. If you live in the Americas, we're all immigrants. This is true if your ancestors came over on the Mayflower. This is even true if your ancestors are Native Americans who've been living here for 15,000 years before the pilgrims got here. They walked across a land bridge at the Bering Strait from Siberia. We all need a warm welcome. One-third of those 40,000 residents at Leiden at the beginning of the 17th century were refugees, and now it's happening all over again. President Obama says, we'll take 10,000 Syrians, which sounds more like an embarrassment than progress to me, but I get it. I understand. He's scared. I'm scared. For a long time, we were a Protestant nation. Then we finally welcomed the Catholics. We became a Christian nation. Then we finally welcomed the Jews and became a Judeo-Christian nation. And now it's time to welcome someone else here. And that's kind of scary. What's to stop ISIS from sneaking terrorists in amongst the war-torn refugees? On the other hand... Did you watch Tim Cook from Apple unveil the new iPhone 6 the other day? The guy who invented that was the son of a Syrian refugee from the 1950s. And he did okay for himself. So remember, writes Paul to the Gentiles at Ephesus, remember that at one time you were aliens from the commonwealth and strangers from the promise But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. Christ is our peace because he's broken down the dividing wall of hostility between us. Peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. One of you sent me an email on Friday. I'm going to read you the whole thing. Dear Bill, I would like to suggest to you the possibility of our congregation adopting a Syrian refugee family. I can provide the details if you're interested. See you on Sunday. Love to Dudley. So what do you think? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.